Uh, let me just say a word before I get into the talk. Guys, I know it's crowded and some of you struggle to get seats and some of you are in overflow. We're just about hopefully six, seven weeks away from having our second worship venue in the new building. And it'll be a 550-seat worship center, state-of-the-art, and we'll actually have live worship teams in both. And it's set up where I can speak in either building. And so we'll have services at the same time. So Lord willing, if you'll just put up with us a few more weeks, we're almost there. So thank you so much to all of you who are patient. And yeah, and to all of you who've given sacrificially to make that possible. Um, we're in a series right now called Takeoff, and, and really it's just built around the fact that this is the beginning of a new year, and whenever a new year happens, there's a sort of rhythm to life that we think about making new starts. But then many of us who've lived for a while can get a little insecure about that because a lot of new years have passed with new year's promises and resolutions that did materialize. And so this year, as we've had our New Year's series, I've challenged us to think about what is it that's holding us back? What is it that keeps us from living the life that we were destined to live? And at the risk of being redundant, I shared this with you the first couple of weeks, I got the idea last February flying home from Dallas or Houston, and it was a late night flight, and the pilot just kept taxing, taxing, and I asked my own, so are we driving back to Wichita? And the whole idea is, wouldn't it be ridiculous uh, to have a perfectly built 737 spend its lifetime taxing around. Uh, it has that capability, but you and I know that wasn't what it was designed to do. It was designed to fly. And we thought about ourselves in that context. Are we really living the life that we were designed to live? And so we've challenged ourselves to think about what it would take for us to take off. And we've explored the teachings of Jesus in one particular section of the Bible, um, he preached, he, he brought a talk when he was on the earth. Um, it's, there are three chapters, although those chapter titles are put in years later. He brought a talk about living a different kind of life. It, it, some people call it the kingdom manifesto. Others call it the greatest sermon ever preached. If you grew up in church, you probably learned to call it the sermon on the mount. But really all that's going on is Jesus is just saying, you've always thought life was like this, but I'm telling you, it could be like this. So the fact that he keeps saying that is what's led me to explore that talk that he gave for ideas about how we could begin to live the life that we were destined to live. Today, I want to bring a talk to you called The Plane is Overloaded. I, have a, well, I say I have a friend. He's with the Lord now, but a very famous man, very well-known man, very influential man. Um, international influence, and he had several private aircraft. And anyway, he was some part, I don't know where he was in the world, someplace in the world, he's getting ready to fly home, and in the airport he ran into a friend who was also trying to fly home. I think the friend was also trying to get back to Virginia where my friend lived. And so my friend said, hey, come get on my plane. I will, I'll fly you home. So the guy came and got on my friend's plane. The pilot said, hey, we can't take off. He said, the plane is overloaded. And he looked there in the, among the passengers, and he saw the new guy, and he said, sir, sorry, you're going to have to get off the plane. And my friend says, okay, he's with me. The pilot said, he's got to get off the plane. My friend wasn't used to having his orders challenged. <laughs> and he said, I own the plane. The pilot said, I'm sorry, he's got to get off the plane. He said, I'm the boss. And the pilot said, I'm the pilot. He gets off the plane. 
And eventually he did get off the plane. My friend was a little upset about it. I heard this story from his wife. Because see, his wife, when the pilot got home, the wife went to the pilot and said, let me just say something to you. If my husband ever does anything crazy like that again, here's my cell number. Call me. Put me on the phone. Let me talk to him, and he will never do that again. <laughs> well, you understand why my friend's wife was in agreement with the pilot. Planes shouldn't take off if they're overloaded. Planes are designed to carry a certain amount of weight. plane has its own weight, the weight of the fuel, the weight of the baggage, and the weight of the passengers. And if the flight is overloaded, it could compromise the plane's ability to fly. We saw that uh, a few years ago with the pop singer Aaliyah. Um, she was in the Caribbean. And they, her entourage flew in in a larger Cessna. But on the flight out, they were flying on a smaller Cessna. And by the time the plane's weight was accounted for and the fuel and the baggage, there was only 800 pounds left for passengers, for six passengers. But there were nine passengers on that plane. And it went down. And we lost a successful pop singer. Plane was overloaded. Well, Jesus is going to talk about that. He's going to say one of the things that can keep you and me from flying, from living the airborne life, is that our, our plane is overloaded. We're, we're too loaded down. We're, frankly, Jesus is saying the reason why we can't live the airborne life is we're worried. We're dealing with anxiety. The guys, I'm going to have to be honest with you. I'll bring this talk five times. I am probably one of the weakest people in the room when it comes to anxiety. I'm telling you, I, I'm, I'm not bringing this talk because I'm good at this. Many of you are far advanced to me when it comes to worry. I mean, there are probably three groups of people in this room. There are some of you that just don't worry very much. You're just wired that way. Others of you worry normally. And then there's some of us that are just programmed to worry. I mean, it's like we came with it preloaded on our hardwire. I mean, we're just wired to worry. And that's me. I worry all the time. So just want you to understand in the essence of full disclosure here, I'm not saying I'm good at this. I'm trying to listen to this sermon all the five times when I'm delivering it because Lord knows nobody needs it as much as I do. But okay, it's Jesus. We came to hear him anyway. You didn't come to hear me. So let me just deliver the mail. Let me just share with you what Jesus has to say about worry. We're going to go three places today, and then we'll be finished with this talk. The first place we're going to go is Jesus is going to define worry, or we're going to have worry defined for us. Secondly, Jesus is going to tell us the four things we worry about, and then he's going to thirdly coach us up on how to think. You know, for somebody who's spent my whole life worrying, I've heard people tell me this over and over again, just don't worry. Nothing frustrates me as much as that. It just makes me want to say a naughty word. I don't, but if somebody else would write it out, I'd sign my name to it. <laughs> and the reason I feel that way is, you know, if I knew how to stop, I'd have stopped worrying when I was six. So what Jesus is going to do is what's really helpful. I mean, here's the thing. Have you ever been worried about some little something and it's just occupying your mind and all of a sudden a bigger subject comes up? You know, and all of a sudden that bigger subject just totally trumps what you were worried about. That's the kind of coaching Jesus is going to give us. He's going to give us thoughts that are way bigger than what we're worried about. And those will help us. So that's the flight plan. That's where we're going today. But before we do, I want to read to you the whole section of Jesus' text here so that you can feel the context of it. 
let it simmer a little bit as we go into those three things. You ready? Matthew 6, verse 24. You can't serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, watch how many times he uses some form of the word worry. Do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not your life more important than food or more than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't plant or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than, than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Or that's a, It's a little bit of an obscure Greek phrase. It might mean who can add, by worrying, an hour to your life, or who can add height, inches to your height. Either way, same principle. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor, they don't spin. And you know, I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans, that would be the uninformed, those not in the know, for the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, or your Father knows what you need. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. All right, there we go. So, number one. What is worry? What are we talking about when we talk about worry? I mean, it's interesting. We'll use the word, but I think many times we really don't think about exactly what it is when we worry. To me, worry is like a horror flick about the future playing in your mind. It's a horror flick that we write, that we direct, that we produce. It's a, it's a theme that we develop. It is in our mind, a horror flick about the future. When I was a kid growing up and I watched horror movies, you know, I get the scary part, I cover my eyes. Sometimes I do the same thing when I'm worrying. I start worrying, I think, oh, this could be so terrible, and it's almost like I have to cover my eyes. But let me give you what the definition of the word is in, in the Bible. You guys know, of course, the Bible is written in Greek. The New Testament is written in Greek. And the Greek word for worry there is merimna. This is interesting. Because the root word means to split or to divide. I mean, the root word could be used of a farmer who was splitting a field to grow potatoes in one area and turnips in another. It just means to split, to divide. The second word, though, is the word for mind. It means, worry means to divide your mind. I think we all know what this means. Remember the last time you were at work? And you had a project to do, and it was an important project, but something came up, and you begin to think about it and worry about it, and the next thing you know, what is it that we say to ourselves? I'm having a hard time focusing. That is because your mind, your emotions were intended to be invested in single projects. But the problem is we can't invest all of our energies into a project because now our field is divided with one part of it, we're thinking about what we need to achieve, but with the other part, we're worried. And the more we begin to worry, the more that whatever that horror flick is, it encroaches into our ability to think and reason. Well, that's what Jesus is talking about when he tells us not to worry. 
Okay, with that in mind, we're now moving into the second part of the message. Jesus is going to tell us the four things we tend to worry about. And guys, watch the genius of Jesus and see if he doesn't nail pretty much everything we worry about because all the little single things are sort of tributaries or ornaments that hang on these trees. Here's the first one. You can't serve God in money. Jesus said we worry about money. Now, real quick, he didn't say we shouldn't think about these things. See, worry is thought beyond reasonable thinking. It's important to think about money. You saw in the announcement video, we're doing a financial peace seminar with Dave Ramsey. That's a great thing to think about money. But when you begin to think about money beyond reasonable thought and it starts keeping you up at night, that's not good. Jesus is real specific about the problem with worrying about money when he says in verse 24, nobody can serve two masters. That's interesting language. Jesus is telling us that when we begin to worry about money, we get turned into a slave. The book of 1 Timothy chapter 6 tells us that people that are worried about money actually begin to impale themselves with worry. So, number one, Jesus said we worry about money. Number two, he said we worry about life. I, do not, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. Now, I was struggling to come up with a single word to communicate what Jesus was trying to say when he said, don't worry about life. I made up a word. This is not a real word, but it helps me. It's the word okayness. I mean, when we worry about life, that's what we're worried about, isn't it? Am I okay? Am I going to be okay? Are my, is my family going to be okay? Is my job going to be okay? Is my life going to experience equilibrium? Am I going to be okay? Life is worrying about okayness. Am I healthy? Will I be healthy? Will I have enough money? And now the third thing Jesus talks about, and he's so smart, he knows how we are. He said, don't worry about your body. The third thing we tend to worry about is our appearance. And I, I know many people who worry greatly about their appearance. I mean, I know attractive people. I mean, the rest of us would look at them and think, wow, she's very attractive, or he's a nice-looking guy. But these are people that will stand in front of the mirror, and all they will see is the feature that they hate about themselves. Why do we freak over our appearance? Well, in our Western world, I think you could say perhaps for good reason. Because the prevailing concept is that people who are attractive get more opportunities, get more attention, get more notice, have more doors open for them. And we all know what happens when you get old, you begin to be devalued as a person. And so when we start to get older, we start worrying especially about our appearance because we have this, this fear that the older we get, the less people will value us. So we want to look younger. Jesus knew we worried about our appearance. We worry about money. We worry about okayness of life. We worry about our appearance. Now, the fourth thing that we worry about, Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. We worry about the future. We worry about the future because we have no idea what's going to happen. I mean, we don't even know who's going to win the two football games today. We may think we know, but we don't. And because we don't know the future, it's always a mystery. It's a question mark. And many times we worry about the future. 
So Jesus said, don't worry about it. So, I mean, think about that. Isn't that pretty well genius? Those are the things we worry about. Money, okayness of life, our appearance, and the future. But now Jesus is going to take us to the third part of our talk when he begins to tell us these powerful thoughts that will help us. Now, the first one you're not going to find in English. I've always believed it was the wisdom of God to have the story of Jesus be written in Greek. Because Greek is a much more expressive language than English, especially with verbs. In, in the Greek language, all kinds of things that could be communicated with verb, verb endings that you can't communicate in the English. And so consequently, there really isn't any way to bring over in English what Jesus is saying. But every time he's saying, don't worry, here's the first thing he is really saying to us. He is saying, don't start worrying. Or we would, how would we say it today? Don't even go there. That's, that's what Jesus is saying. Look, look, don't even go there. Okay, what I'm about to tell you right now, I wish I didn't have to tell you. It's personal. It's awkward. But my job is to help you. And so I already told you I deal with anxiety. But most of the time I, I deal with it, I keep it at bay. I function real well. But, you know, I have something I'm worried about all the time. Well, in 2010... At the end of 2010, I hit the wall, had a breakdown, whatever you want to call it. Years of exhaustion, years of anxiety and ADD not being dealt with, and I hit the wall. Now, here's the thing. Here's how it started. In the fall of that year, I started having symptoms, scary symptoms. And as it turned out, the symptoms were of an illness that's perfectly innocent. I'll, I'll have it the rest of my life, but it's totally harmless. But I was just sure... I was dying. And I started worrying about it. And because I started worrying about it, I started losing weight, which is the last thing I should worry about. But I just started losing weight. I was freaking. I was losing weight. Then I started worrying about losing weight. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but if you start losing weight without any reason, that's not a good thing. That could be a symptom of really bad things. So now it is confirmed in my mind that not only am I sick, I am probably dying. Listen, I can turn a headache into a brain tumor faster than anybody you've ever met in your life. And a lot of you don't worry. You have no idea what, what I'm talking about. Some of you do. And so you know how it is. When you start worrying, it's like one thing leads to another. Time out. Here's how I imagine worry. Imagine your mind being a series of roads, and imagine loops being in your mind, like loops around cities. And imagine worry being a sticky ball that's traveling around that loop. I just came back from some of the largest cities in Texas. There were loops around all those cities. But imagine a loop with no off-ramp. So here in your mind, when you begin to worry about something, imagine it being a sticky ball traveling around a loop in your mind that has no off-ramp. But because it's sticky, it keeps picking up debris. And what started off as a small sticky ball suddenly becomes this huge, this huge nightmare. Well, that's what was going on in my life. Because I started by having symptoms of a perfectly innocent illness that people get. 
It wasn't going to lead anywhere, but I was sure I was dying. That caused me to start worrying. Worrying caused me to start losing weight. The more I started worrying about losing weight, the more weight I started losing rapidly with no explanation. So now I'm sure I'm dying. But now I'm starting to ask the question, why am I dying? Is God trying to tell me something? Next thing you know, I begin to worry that God was saying to me, Mark, you're not doing what I want you to do. I pastor thousands of people. I make hundreds of decisions all the time. Surely a lot of those decisions has made God unhappy, I'm thinking. So maybe God is finished with me, and because I'm not pleasing him, God is saying, Mark, I'm about to just shut your lights out here. So now I'm beginning to explore, well, what could I have done that would have made God unhappy? And I'm thinking, you know what? I pastor thousands of people. I'm sure I'm not giving attention to people who need attention as much as I should. So I started thinking about it. You know, I have a dear friend in my church who's dying with cancer. And I just made a note to make sure I checked in with him all the time. And weeks had gone by and I hadn't even contacted him. And I thought, you know what? That's probably why God is mad at me. And I begin, oh, next thing you know, I begin to have symptoms of his illness. Mine is a powerful thing. And I'm just sure now God has given me his illness because I didn't pay attention to him like I should have. And I'm dying from that illness too. And this is, listen, I actually wound up having a test for this illness. I can still remember lying there on the table and the lady who was administering anesthesia to me, getting ready for this, to undergo this test. She leaned over to me and she said, I just want you to know I've got a new spring and you saved my life. I don't know. If she, I never knew who she was. If she's here You'll never know what you meant to me. Do you see what God was trying to say to me? He's like, Mark, what are you doing here? <laughs> now, that's not, that's not fun standing on stage five times in front of thousands of people and television cameras and tell that story. But I just want you to know Jesus is right. He's saying, don't even go there. I mean, you know, he's taking me back to this moment where I had these symptoms of something is no problem at all. And he's just saying, trust me. But I didn't, did he? Did I? I didn't trust him. And the more I worried, the bigger that sticky ball going around that loop became. Jesus is saying, don't even go there. Okay. Here's the second thing that he says. Matthew 6, 27. And which of you by worrying can add an hour to his life? Second thing Jesus is saying is worrying doesn't accomplish anything. Now, I've had loving people tell me that before, especially Mary Alice. Well, worrying ain't going to do anything about it. Now, that's a truism, isn't it? And that's, that's a statement that's obviously true. Why do we need to be told that? Why did Jesus have to say that? I think it's because deep inside, we believe worrying actually accomplishes something. You know, it is said that 40% of what we worry about will never materialize. 30% of what we worry about has already happened. It's too late to change. 12% of what we worry about are medical health issues that are never going to happen. 10% of what we worry about is totally, totally unimportant. It doesn't matter. That only leaves 8%. And Jesus is just saying, hey, that 8% that could potentially be legitimate, Jesus is saying, it won't do any good to worry about it. Tell you what I think, though. I don't know if this is true, just, just what I think. I think that what happens to us is those of us who worry a lot about stuff, 
Because we worry about it, we focus on it, and because we focus on it, from time to time, we come up with a solution for the problem. And so what we do is we sort of employ the transitive principle, and we say, you know what, worry, fix that. But the truth of the matter is, what, what, what was good was the attention that we gave to the problem. What we don't realize is that worry does a lot of damage to us and does damage to relationships, and most of the time, worry doesn't fix anything. It just makes the problem worse. So Jesus is saying, just remember, your worry isn't going to accomplish anything. Now he takes us to a bigger place. And this is for people that worry about their appearance. So if you're here today and you worry about your appearance from time to time, you don't like the way you look, you worry about the way you look, oh, you hear this, okay? Jesus is saying, why worry about your clothes or why worry about your appearance? See the lilies of the field? And he says, Solomon wasn't even dressed like one of these. And then he goes on to say, look, if God takes care of... The wildflowers is basically what he's talking about. Isn't it interesting? When, when God talks to us about our appearance, he, he talks about the wildflowers out there. And basically, translated, what Jesus is saying is, you look fine to God. I mean, you're his. He made you. You look fine to him. I was speaking at a pastor's conference last week in Texas, down in San Antonio. So Miraus and I drove down there, and um, we went through the hill country where my parents are from. You know, from time to time, people will talk to me. They'll know I'm a Texan, even though I've been here a long time. I feel like a Kansan, but people will talk to me about yellow roses, as if Texans cared about yellow roses. Now listen, every person from Texas here knows we don't give a rip about yellow roses. Somebody wrote a song about the yellow rose of Texas, but that means absolutely nothing to a Texan. There's only one flower we get emotional about. That's a blue bonnet. I mean, Texans will come home. There's just something about the blue bonnet. It's a magnet. We'll, we'll come home from all over the world in April to see the blue bonnets. The blue bonnets are weeds. Yeah. They're weeds, and yet we get emotional about them. I mean, here's the thing. Blue bonnets mean more to us than any flower in the florist case. And here in Kansas, we have our own version of that, don't we? We have the sunflower. Is there any flower more beautiful in Kansas than the sunflower? And that's what God is talking about. He's saying, look, okay, maybe you're never going to be that cut floral arrangement in the refrigerator at the florist, but he said, you know, you look fine to me. God is saying, you look, the way, you look the way I want you to look. And always remember this. Doors of opportunity as a Christ follower, they're not made by how you look. God opens doors. He opens doors that nobody can close. And no matter how you look, if he wants to open a door for you, he can open it. Okay? Let's roll on. Here's number four. Is not life more than food? Now, Obviously, we know that life is more than food, but Jesus is talking here about being okay. That's a big question. Because see, a lot of times we think that life is about being okay. I need to be okay. I need to be healthy. I need to have money. I need to be in a good career. I need everybody to like me in all my relationships. Well, life isn't going to be okay sometimes. And Jesus said, life is more than being okay. Jesus calls us to a stirring reality, which is simply this. This life was always meant to be disposable. 
I mean, we're going to live forever. But in this life, we're here to make a difference. We're here for a purpose. We're here to live out a destiny. And Jesus is saying, your life is simply more than being okay. Let me go now to the fifth one. And of all the things that Jesus says, this is probably the most practical to keep us from worrying. He said, your father knows what you need. I don't know where Jesus placed the inflection when he made that statement. Maybe, maybe he said, your heavenly father knows what you need. You know, a big part of the tension that I've had with God and the worrying that I've had in my life was, am I going to get what I want or am I going to get what I think I need? And yet, how many times did I get what I thought I wanted or what I needed only to find out it didn't work out very well? And yet, on the other other hand, how many times did I get something from God and and it wasn't exactly what I wanted, and yet, after I thought about it, it it was what I needed? I've known, it's so hard to remember before I met Mary Alice. When I was 16, she was 14. I don't know what I was thinking about would have comprised the perfect wife when I was growing up. I figure I was thinking about some, a beautiful woman who thought just like I thought, who liked everything I liked, who wanted to do everything I wanted to do. A, a, a beautiful woman who's another version of me. I guess that's what I thought I wanted. That is not what I got. I mean, I'm beautiful, yes, but I, that's not what I got with Mary Alice. <laughs> I'm creative. I'm artistic. I'm mercurial. Mary Alice is by the book, very detail-oriented, very minutia-oriented. You know what? We've been married for many, many, many years now. I got exactly what I needed in a wife. Jesus is saying, your father knows what you need. Don't worry. He knows what you need. Or did Jesus put the inflection in another word? Did he say your heavenly father knows what you need? Oh, I love that. Because for God to know what you need, he has to know you. And beyond that, he has to be a student of you. He has to be looking at your life and saying, you know what? I know what she needs. I know what she needs. Let me tell you why this is really important to me. In all of our services here, the thousands of people who go to New Spring, I've met so many of you who are very successful in life. You know what I find interesting? When I start getting you to unpack your story of how you got to be a success, a lot of times you'll tell me about going through moves and circles and turns in your life that wouldn't be the normal way of going. You know, we assume that there's a way to be successful in life. You've got to make top grades, get into an Ivy League school, graduate top 10% of your class, know the right people, kiss up the right people. That's how you're a success. I just tell you, the more I meet successful people, the more I find people that go through very unconventional routes we drove down in Mary Alice's van, and several times as we were driving through Texas, 
Her GPS would say, you're on an unrecognized road. <laughs> Isn't it true for most of us who have been blessed in life that we didn't go the conventional route? That we wound up on unrecognized roads. Roads that wouldn't be recognized by our peers. Roads that wouldn't be recognized by the experts. Lord knows roads that we didn't recognize. But how many of you are very successful in your field and yet you for a while went down another road that has nothing to do with your field, but every day of your life you utilize something that you learned on that unrecognized road that makes you a success at what you're doing right now. God knows what you need. When I was in college, I told Mary Alice, I go anywhere God sends me except Kansas. You know what? I this is my 31st year. I can't imagine living anywhere else. I love Kansas. Most of all, I love Kansans. You know what I didn't realize? I think like a Kansan. I thought like a Kansan when I lived in Texas. And so God is just saying, smiling, Mark, I know where you need to be. I know where your ministry is going to be. I know where you're going to, I know, I'm going to put you with people that you're going to, you're going to adore. As crazy as it sounds, I love looking at Kansas. I like our flat prairies and our Flint Hills. I even like it in winter. Now, that's totally unimportant and irrelevant to you, but I'm just saying God was saying, Mark, I, I know what you need. I know what you need. And Jesus is saying the same to you. You don't need to worry. Your father knows what you need. Well, the last thing Jesus is going to tell us is the biggest of all. You remember a moment ago he said life is more than okayness? He's going to take that a step further now. And here's what he's going to say. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus is going to say, focus on accomplishing your mission, God's will for your life. God will take care of everything else. At the risk of being trite, Jesus is saying, let God worry about all the stuff you're worried about. You just focus on doing what you're here on this planet to accomplish. Guys, I want to tell you, when I was in that haze five years ago, that is what pulled me out. Just a sense of, I didn't know if I was going to be okay. I didn't know if I was going to live or die. I just got to the place where all of a sudden life became, you know what, I'm just going to go home and I'm going to do what God has assigned me to do and I'm going to let God worry about everything else. Last Monday, we celebrated the birthday of an American hero, Dr. Martin Luther King. If there ever was a person who had reasons to worry, it was Dr. King. He had... So many threats on his life. I think the greatest American speech is Lincoln's second inaugural. But the second greatest speech in my mind is one of Dr. King's. But as great as it is, it's not the I have a dream speech. I love the message he brought the night before he was shot in Memphis. There was a sanitation worker strike. Things were going, getting crazy, and so leaders asked Dr. King if he would fly to Memphis and calm things down and bring some direction, and that's what he was there to do. We're pretty familiar with the last paragraph that I'm going to share with you in just a minute. 
But I read the whole message this week on Martin Luther King's birthday. And in the message, he talks about how that on the flight over to Memphis, the captain said, I'm sorry we're being delayed. Dr. Martin Luther King is on the flight. We had to check all the baggage to make sure it was safe for us to fly. Well, that'd be scary, wouldn't it? I mean, to be a person that just your very presence meant that everything had to be triple-checked for security. But anyway, he's preaching. And in this marvelous message, he gets down to the last paragraph. I've always felt like it was God's way of letting Dr. Martin Luther King say goodbye to us. It is what I want you to hear. Because you remember Jesus just said, don't worry about anything. Let God worry about all the stuff that you're worried about. Just focus on doing God's will. Now, I'm embarrassed to read this because I can't read it with the eloquent cadence of Martin Luther King. But I want to read it to you. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But that doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight, and I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Less than 24 hours later, standing on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel, Dr. Martin Luther King was shot in the neck and died instantly. What do you think about that, though? In the midst of all that maelstrom, he said, I'm not worried about anything. I'm happy tonight. I'm not fearing any man. I just want to do God's will. Well, history will say that Dr. King was shot and killed the next night. But that's history. What really happened the next day is Dr. King entered an eternity with God. And all that mattered was that he did God's will. And that's what God is saying to you and me. Your life is more than your okayness. God knows what you need. Or ain't going to change anything. You just do God's will. Do what you were destined to do. Don't worry about things. God will take care of the rest. And even when it's time to leave this life, God will send his angels to carry you home. You just do God's will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for letting us be here today. And Lord, in this next moment, if anybody here needs Jesus... I pray that they will reach out to him in Jesus' name. I, I know we're in overtime, but if you're here today and you say, Mark, I want to have that relationship with God. I want to have that peace that I heard some people talk about in the baptism. I want to know that I have a relationship. I want to know that God is taking care of me. Well, here's the thing. The word to focus on is not do. Religion says do. The Bible says done. Jesus loves you. He died on a cross to pay for your sins. He arose from the grave to prove that he's God. And if you'll reach out to him in prayer by faith, he'll hear your prayer. Scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to pray it slowly. You can repeat it with me. 
I'll say it slowly. You can decide if you want to own the words because what you feel in your heart is what really matters. You ready? Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me anyway. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sin. I believe he arose from the grave. I ask you to forgive me and make me your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed this prayer, I know we're crowded, but I have a gift I want to give you. It's a packet. It's got a DVD in it and a small book in it that you can, it'll answer a lot of questions and a coupon for a new Bible. Just go out to guest services in the lobby or back by the coffee shop and say, I prayed with Mark. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next weekend. <laughs>